Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Raina Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, raid line, whatever, isn't completely full. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Michael Castillo for this? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Scratch, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. I can't believe it. Let's open up that race Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe USD has hired Lincoln Riley. Oh, yeah. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Rain of Fire Radio, episode 448, coming to you on Monday, September 26th. We're going to look back at USC's four, uh, 17-14 win over the Oregon State Beavers in the final moments in Corvallis. We're going to take your questions and so much more here on this episode. As always, feel free to follow us on social media. We're at Reign of Troy on Twitter and Facebook. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Our email address is reignoftroy at fansided.com. I'm your host, Michael Castillo, and you can follow me on Twitter at MichaelCastFS. But of course, I'm joined along with the star of the show, my co-host. Oh, you can follow on Twitter at Penguin of Troy, Alicia Daratola. Hello, everybody. Hello. We are back uh, to talk about USC and Oregon State and so much more. Uh, but I think the biggest thing, the, the, the biggest thing to discuss right now is in doing our preparation for the show. And of course, we always talk about the rundown that we put together. Uh, the rundown for this episode is like six pages. Um and it, it's always uh, it's a this fun thing to put together. Yeah, yes. this is not a long but, one. Um, in doing this and doing some pre-show research, Lisa I discovered that on the Apple Podcast charts, this show, Right of Troy Radio, is the 18th, number 18th, number 18th on the Apple Podcast chart for football podcasts in South Korea. Hey, the the Trojan Incredible. family spreads far and wide, Incredible. including South Korea. We're big in Seoul, uh, and and you love to see it. That's that's awesome. You yeah. you absolutely love to see it. I am. Yeah. We could not do this without you guys. Um, it is <laughs> our, our loyal listeners in in South Korea. Are we? You are our favorites. Yes. Um, the the republic of korea we are very thankful and um we are we are happy to be the official usc podcast of, of south korea yeah. yeah that's us we should put that on our tagline like reina troy radio the official <laughs> pod usd <laughs> podcast of south korea yeah yes absolutely uh if you're watching us on youtube welcome to the show as always uh, be sure to like us and subscribe us like the the video subscribe to the channel help us grow the show uh, as as always, uh, it it allows us to become maybe even higher ranked than other countries. We're like a hundred and twenty. I think it was one hundred and twenty third 
ranked football podcasts in, in Saudi Arabia. So uh, <laughs> we, we got to do work in Saudi Arabia. Maybe we just talk about the bit. Saudi Arabian Grand Prix and uh, something build up some fan base out of fan base over there. Yeah. So yeah. We, we can always go to the show. As always, you can you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts as well. Uh, and right here on YouTube, uh, subscribe, leave your comments, uh, join us on our community page, uh, and so much more. We are so close, so close to 1,000 subscribers, guys. Yeah. Got to hit that subscribe button. Get us over that threshold. We'll stop bugging, bugging you about it every episode. Well, no, because times. I want to get to 100,000 subscribers. That's true. Because I want the little thing on the wall. We, I want do, the play we do want the play button. So... If you aren't subscribed yet, get you know, get on it. Do one do solid I, I mean, for the show. Yes, SC struggles to get like sixty five thousand people at the Coliseum, but that doesn't mean we can't have a hundred thousand subscribers. Hey, if you know? we took out an ad, let's get an ad on like a on um on a a, a biplane or whatever. Let's do a banner ad that yeah. says "Subscribe to Random for Radio on YouTube." If everyone at the Coliseum on Saturday subscribes then we'll be all well on our way to 100,000. We'll just have to go get an ad out at, you know, Kansas stadium too, to fill out the remaining 40,000. Yeah. Yeah. It, that would, that would certainly help because of course, Kansas has sold out a football game before USC. Yes. Uh, breaking news. Uh, shout out to the, to the Jayhawks rock chalk. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, Anyways, thanks for joining the show. As always, um, Alicia, let's get right into it and start with the news. Alicia, you know the only good thing about football season being over? There's literally nothing good about the football season being over. It's just an endless wait until the fall. See, that's where you're wrong. It's tournament season. The best way to take your mind off the endless wait. That is true. I may not want to watch the men play, but the USC women are pretty awesome. Exactly, but it's not just SC. There's high-stake basketball moments all over the country. But you know what? They get even better with prize picks. So you're saying the only thing better than watching Juju Watkins is taking the more on Juju Watkins. Bingo! You can now turn your hoops knowledge and love of Juju Watkins into serious cash. Because you can now win up to 100 times your money on prize picks with as little as four correct picks. Turn 10 bucks into a thousand bucks with college basketball, NBA, and NHL entries. Best of all, Price Picks lets you get on the action on more than 30 states across the country, including Texas, Georgia, and California. That sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, download the app today and use the code Rain of Troy for a first deposit match up to $100. That's the Price Picks app with the code Rain of Troy for the first deposit match of up to $100. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. Mike Rowe here with a few thoughts on my favorite sweatshirt, a classic zip-up hoodie that used to be navy blue but has since faded to what the fashionistas call a distressed indigo. It's 13 years old, soft as a flannel bathrobe, and after a few hundred dirty jobs, demonstrably and undeniably indestructible. This is the kind of sweatshirt girlfriends like to permanently borrow, but I've held on to this one because I got it from American Giant. American Giant makes all their stuff right here in the USA so they can control every link in their own supply chain. That matters because when you buy American Giant, you not only get great quality, you create jobs for people in factory towns all over the country. No pressure, but 
If you give a damn about the business of making things in America, you got to support the companies who are doing it right. Go to American-Giant.com slash Mike to get 20% off your first order. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. We have to start where we start every every Fallout episode when we're talking about the news is talking about the polls. Uh, and that goes with USC going up in the polls, of course, up in the polls to number six, number six in the AP poll and number six in the coaches poll. Uh, USC is, remains seventh in, in Sagarin's ratings. Uh, Utah now up to sixth uh, in those ratings as well. I'm excited to see SP plus too as we get into the next couple of weeks because I think it'll start yeah. to week seven start to look after interesting. Week seven, I believe. Um, yeah, this makes sense. Oklahoma lost in front of USC. USC takes up that spot. I think the one to watch this week is obviously Clemson. They are playing a good NC State team. They just squeaked by Wake Forest. They've got another challenge this week. If they lose, USC could easily be in the top five. Also, Michigan is playing Iowa. And they're going to Iowa. Iowa's offense is horrendous, but they have a really good defense. That could end up being an interesting game as well. So there will be opportunities for USC to keep moving up. I put on Twitter, keep winning, keep rising. Like that's that's the the gist of it. Take care of your business and your your polls will reflect that. So just just gotta keep chugging away. Yeah. hundred uh, percent. Uh keep rising. Uh, it's like camera rising. Who's, yes, who's like camera USC will face in in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I think uh, Utah's number twelve in the poll. Yeah, so it, they're moving up. Uh, Oregon's moving up. Washington moving up. So the Pac-12 has a bunch of teams in the top fifteen now. If they don't cannibalize each other, well, SC doesn't play a lot of them. Oregon or Washington. SC doesn't play Oregon. SC doesn't play Washington. They can't cannibalize those two. But if if UCLA UCLA plays Washington on Friday, Friday night, yeah. If UCLA beats Washington, they will be ranked. Yes. Um, so they're receiving votes already. So, you know, the, the polls are USC is going to have opportunities to to have some impressive, um, so impressive wins. Washington State is playing. Uh, who are they playing? They're playing someone interesting that they could continue to rise um, receiving votes in the poll as well after their loss to Oregon, um, that USC is going to face them coming up too. So, you know, we'll keep an eye on the polls. They ultimately don't matter, but we'll keep an eye on them. Yeah, I, I think the, the Pac-12 is setting up to have a really, really fascinating year. It seems like 
So many of the teams are sort of better than you would expect. Washington, probably better than we expect. Maybe maybe we were too down on them the last last year. I mean, they, they did win the North in, in 2020. Should have been USC's opponent in that in that championship game if it wasn't uh, for the big C C nineteen word, um, and you know UCLA is a big question mark four and zero that they've played absolutely nobody and not looked particularly impressive doing it. So okay, I, I'm I'm gonna go to bat quickly for one split second for Chip Kelly. I think Chip Kelly after going to coach in in the NFL. Um, and, and be a head coach at two different spots. I think genuinely he views the non-conference schedule as the preseason. He's been at UCLA for five years now. He I, doesn't get to use that. No, he needs but, every win he can get. Yeah, no, like, I you agree. Can't take those games off. Well, like, they, they did go four and zero. Yes, go, but to be, to be but fair, they you know Bowling Green gave them some trouble. Yes. South Alabama gave them a lot of trouble. Like right. I don't think that's a valid excuse for for Chip Kelly. They are four and zero. They get to yes. they get to again prove yourself against a Washington team that I think people are high on. But Michigan State, that win for Washington over Michigan State is now looking a little shaky because Michigan State looks like they have uh, completely and utterly collapsed. So yeah, you know, I think it's a really really interesting matchup on Saturday. I mean, on on Friday night. Yeah, I, between I'm, those two teams. I'm but just saying, I, to, I don't think UCLA has really put themselves out there to actually know what they. They are haven't yet. had a chance. This yes. is this is their chance. But do some Pac-12 bashing real quick. Um, the two biggest games in the Pac-12 this weekend. What do we think they are? Washington UCLA on Friday night. Yes, absolutely. And on Saturday, Oregon State Utah. Mm-hmm. Washington UCLA, 10:30 p.m. Eastern time start on Friday. Oregon State, Utah on the Pac-12 network. So you go uh, promoting your your conference. Uh, I know you don't you don't enjoy these particular conversations, but uh, I, I just thought it was worth pointing out. I think Oregon State's schedule to start the season, uh, like utterly insane. Yeah, like going into it, if you if we were an Oregon State podcast, I think we'd be going like it's the complete opposite of UCLA's schedule. Yeah. UCLA has played absolutely nobody. Uh, three non-conference games that they, they should have won, all of them by by thirty points uh, at least. Um, with South Alabama being the best of the three, um, and the one that gave them the hardest fight, obviously. Uh, and then and then you get Colorado, who like literally doesn't have a pulse at the moment. And then Oregon State. Not only do they have to play Boise State, the most respected G five uh, on the planet. Although uh, that year in the year out, which they might not be that good this year, yeah. sure, but it's, but still, it's, it's as still far Boise as scheduling State, right? goes, that's yeah, yeah, it's still Boise State. Um, they had Fresno State again, another very respected G five on the road. That's mm-hmm. never going to be easy. Mm-mm. They had to play uh, a legitimately elite FCS team. Then they had to play SC. Now they have to go on the road to Rice Eccles to play Utah. Uh, I I want is it Washington State that they play next week? If it's Washington no, no, State no. next SC, week, SC plays Washington State. Yeah, I can't remember who they play next week, but like it's tough enough. It's it's in it's insanity. It's insanity. Their schedule the first like the, six weeks is great. This is why I'm very frustrated as someone who looks at the polls and someone who does broader college football coverage. Now it is very frustrating when you look around and see like teams like Kansas can't get ranked. Teams like UCLA not getting ranked, Oregon State not getting ranked, 
Um, and I think Oregon State certainly had a better case than UCLA in terms of just the difficulty of their schedule going in. Um, meanwhile, you see like teams like Florida that had to lose again in order to get to drop out of the polls. You have teams like, you know, um, every SEC team you can think of, Texas A&M and everybody, yeah. Arkansas, everybody just all up in the polls be- just simply because they haven't lost a game yet. Um, it's frustrating as a, a, a sort of somebody focused in on the Pac-12. I think the Big Ten, the Big 12 gets to make this complaint as well. But like you not only have to be perfect in these conferences to get any sort of national look, but you need to do it for the first six weeks of the season to even get into that conversation because Oregon State is not going to be ranked for the rest of the season, but they're a good football team and like they're never going to get the respect. That they, that well, they deserve. I think they could if they they win. They beat Utah. If they beat Utah, on Saturday, yeah, absolutely. They're going to be ranked. I think the the crazy thing is talking about Oregon State not getting respect. I searched Oregon State schedule on on um on Google. Mm-hmm. You know the little Google bug that pops up that auto populates the schedule. Is in it? There? Did it go to basketball? It went to basketball. Yeah. <laughs> well, what the hell, man? Oregon State football is legitimately good. Come on, respect the Beavers. Yeah, <laughs> respect the Beavers. But let's get some respect about the Beavers uh, in there. Yeah, it's wild. Uh, anyways, SC ends up winning on Saturday, seventeen fourteen, in a wild, uh, wild uh, game, which ultimately leads to SC going four and zero. Washington State. Was looking like they were going to be four and zero, but they end up with a loss. They had an epic cooging. They cooged it at the end against Oregon, so they are now going to be three and one. Which means when USC plays Washington State next week, it will not be a battle of the unbeaten's. Um, but that game still will be in prime time because Alicia USC and Washington State are going to kick off at four thirty p.m. Pacific on Big Fox. It's a good time slot, really good opportunity for the one USC. everyone wants. Yeah, USC is going to have the national audience. Um, it, it you can make a you can make a statement here. Washington State looks like they have something about them. I think uh, Dickert has done a really good job since taking over and under difficult circumstances, and you have to take them seriously. Um, but this is these are the kind of games that USC needs to perform in, right? Like. If you want to make a case for USC being ahead of Clemson or USC being in actually being involved in the playoff sort of picture, you have to win this game when you have the national audience because yeah. more often than not this season, you are going to end up with the, the 730 kickoff like you did uh, this last week, like you did with ASU. You're going to have another game on the Pac-12 network. Like You got to take your moments in the spotlight and prove that people should be paying attention to you. And so this is this is the opportunity. It's just a shame it's not undefeated because Washington State had that game wrapped up and they cooged it. They cooged it bad. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, one of those where I thought they would, they were, you know, beyond fulfilling all of the expectations um, and, and so much more. They, they get the big win on the road uh, against Wisconsin. Uh, they come back. Um, against Oregon, they come out in the next, in two games later against Oregon, and really start to push them around. And then it gets to the fourth quarter, and everything kind of falls apart. So we're going to see what the Cougs have in store for SC in a couple of weeks. But uh, let's talk about USC and Oregon State. SC gets the win on Saturday, seventeen fourteen. We put a poll over here on on YouTube. Be sure to 
join us if you're if you're in the YouTube chat to uh, to vote in the poll. Did USC's win over the Oregon State Beavers make you more or less confident in the Trojans' ability to win the Pac-12? Last I checked, it was at eighty nine percent more confidence. What, what, what say you, Alicia? I think that's got to be a reflection of the defense. I think that. Yeah. USC fans were probably somewhat comfortable with the idea of being a form of Big 12 bad where you're just going to like you just got to score a bunch of points and the defense just going to get run over, um, but be opportunistic and you sort of go through the season that way. I think this defensive performance does a lot to show that this defense can get the job done and do it not because they're sort of fluking their way into turnovers. I think we talked about this on the car cast, but the most encouraging thing about this defensive performance, aside from it being another step forward from the weeks before, is that the turnovers weren't necessarily the end-all be-all. Like, they weren't necessarily going to give up touchdowns on the end of those drives based on the way that the drives had gone forward. Obviously, turnovers are huge. They end drives. That's how you that that's why they're so valuable. But they weren't it wasn't the like if USC didn't force those four turnovers, Oregon State was going to put up 35, 35 points. It, right. it wasn't that kind of a Because they were still getting the stops. Yeah. They were getting the stops when they needed to. They were forcing Oregon State to settle for a field goal that they missed. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were forcing Oregon State to to punt when they absolutely needed to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was a little bit different than the Stanford game in that sense, where the Stanford game, they were getting fleeced between the 10-yard between the lines, right? Yeah. Uh, and then Stanford just couldn't get it into the end zone at the end. This was a much different game in that sense. And it does show the improvement uh, of USC's defense uh, from last week. The same thing. Um, the, you look at the Fresno State game. Fresno State was getting into the red zone. They were only one of four. Um, and then they were going away with no points. They missed a field goal. Um, they hit on the very last play of the game. They didn't get it in the end zone. Lincoln Riley talked about how important it was to finish that game. Mm-hmm. Well, look at the extreme next week. SC going on the road against Corvallis, losing, needing to, to pull it out of their ass. And you just instilled the week before that you played the entire 60 minutes. You play to the final whistle and SC needed to do that against Oregon state to ultimately do it. And so you can look at the the game, I think, of one of two ways. You can look at it and say it was disappointing for USC because the offense was not there. It was completely uncharacteristic. It was not what we expected at all. It's what nobody expected for USC to score 17 points and 17 really difficult points for them to score. Nobody expected that. And you can you can say that that's an indictment on the offense. Sure. I will hear that point 100 percent at the same point. This was a USC team that we've seen in the past where when the offense is going, the defense has not been there to back them up. When the defense is going, the offense has not been there to back them up. What we've seen so far this year is that at Stanford, when the defense struggled, the offense pulled their weight early on in the game and put the game out of the reach. And it was sort of that grave digger offense that we talked about through through Stanford in, in a grave, told them to dig themselves out, and obviously they couldn't. This game completely different. The offense is struggling and the defense goes up and stands and stands tall and gets the win. And I think that when you put those two things together, that has to make you feel good about going forward because you know that both sides of the ball can can step up when they need to. 
and this was a game that you needed to to get a win if you want to win the conference. Mm-hmm. If you want to win the conference, you the the divisions don't matter anymore, right? They're, they're irrelevant. And yes, USC is would be in the same division um, as Utah because uh, obviously they were both in the South, but it doesn't really matter anymore. And the the North is looking really good with Oregon and Washington. You're going to miss those teams. You have to take advantage of every opportunity to get a win. And even if you're able to get this one, um, it was huge. It, it was it was huge for the Trojans to, to show some some hearts um, and be able to kind of, you know, push the issue on defense. Yeah, and that, I think that's the big takeaway that Lincoln Riley talked about. I think that's the big takeaway that, that I have is that we saw some of the character of this team and we saw – Yes, that that goal line stand carry over the the mentality and the attitude and the the approach on defense carry over to a really really big game against a good offense. Yeah, Oregon State is not known for their defense. This was supposed to be an offensive shootout, and credit to both defenses for really taking that to heart and responding the way that they did. I think both sides absolutely were were riled up to play, and USC ultimately had the edge there. Um, I wouldn't get ahead of ourselves here, though. Because going into the season, I talked a lot about how, why I thought that USC, aside from the fact that it's very difficult to go undefeated, just for the record, mm-hmm. why I thought USC would, would be in danger of having a few losses is because in college football especially, some weeks your high-powered offense shows up with a dud like they did against Oregon State. Yeah. And especially in Alex Grinch defense, I pulled out the the stats from from Oklahoma and other stops for him. Alex Grinch defenses tend to be very boom or bust. It tends to be they hold you to 14, they hold you to 17, or they give up 35 or 45. So we have not seen, we have now seen a USC offensive performance that was very subpar. And part of me is happy to get it out of the way. And to have Caleb Williams and and that group have to come together and respond, and we get to see how they respond against ASU. But the fact of the matter is, we still have not seen what happens when things go really wrong for this defense. And so you have to prepare yourself for the idea that things are going very well for this team, but you're not going to see that defense every single week. You need to be able to have your offense bail them out going back the other way. And there's still a pretty decent chance that USC will have a game where the defense doesn't perform like they did against Oregon State, and the offense doesn't perform like they did in the first three weeks of the season, and you just get bit. So that's sort of where I'm coming at with the idea of what this um, what this performance sort of means for the rest of the season. I think it bodes well because we've seen the defense take considerable steps forward. That doesn't mean that USC is out of the woods yet in terms of the questions that I have for a squad that has been rebuilt, that is still working through their growing pains as they move forward. So, you know, just temper it a little bit. It's going to be a lot of fun to see how this team responds uh, in the next few weeks, but it's, it's still, there's still a lot of football to play and we'll see how they, how they respond. Yeah. It's four games in, in year one and four games in, in year one, this is a defensive performance that you take a million times over. Absolutely. A a million times over in my book, especially when you look at, what they're doing in terms of turnovers. And I want to talk about the turnovers a little bit here. Uh, from the, descent, the defensive standpoint, SC has forced more turnovers than anyone in America with 14. In in a vacuum, it, that's incredible. 
then you talk about the offensive side. They have not committed a turnover. The only team in America to have not committed a turnover in a vacuum. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. Number one in both of those things, which mean, b- means by default, they're number one in turnover margin, which is really the most important aspect of that is the net number turnover margin. They're number one in that by plus 14. And I put out a bunch of stats on Twitter. Go follow me on Twitter, MichaelCastFS, if you want to see all the stats that I put out there on Sunday night. But the plus 14 is crazy because no one else is more than plus nine. So it's five, five, plus five more than anyone else in America. And that's because SC has not turned the ball over themselves. Um, And easily, if they would have turned the ball over, you know, three or four times, that number drastically changes, right? Yeah. But they haven't. They're, they're, they're plus 14. Um, I did the math over the 12 years of USC football from 2010 to 20, uh, 2021. 12 years um, after Pete Carroll left, USC's aggregate turnover margin in those 149 games was plus 11. Plus 11. Yeah, in, in and more SC than a decade. Is plus four. In four games, obviously small sample size, all of that. Yeah. But the 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 great irony is that they took 40, 149 games to just be plus eleven. Um, tells you how this team is is different. They're they're definitely different, but they're going to turn the ball over at some at some point. Um, turnover luck is something that we've talked about on this podcast before. It's something that the numbers uh, and Bill Connolly has talked about. Uh, fumbles. The way it usually pans out, you only recover about 50% of your fumbles. Luckily for USC's defense, they're really forcing interceptions Mm -hmm. more than anything. Tip balls, it's usually what happens after a tip ball um, is very random. But at the same time, you make the luck. And SC's has has had its ability to to make its luck as well. And that's what we talked about, the Rice game, that a lot of those tip balls were the receivers tipping the ball. So... Yeah, we can take those and say, well, those are more luck side of tip ball kind of interceptions. But what's been really impressive over the last few of the last three weeks instead has been it's USC tipping those balls. It's like Eric Gentry getting getting his hand, you know, his wingspan and using it to to good effect. You know, it just reminds me of that season that Achenna Wilson had where he was just tipping balls at the the line every every second. And. You know, part of that is luck, but also part of that is you were in position to to make those plays and those plays matter and those plays count. So yeah, the thing that is really good to see is the idea of making your own luck. And so many times, you know, have we talked about how like USC doesn't make their own luck. They make it hard on themselves this way and that way. And I think that you see this this season, these four games are a little bit unicorny in terms of the the turnover stuff. You know, it usually doesn't go this perfectly for a team uh, in this way. but USC gets credit through four games for sustaining this. Like if this had happened across yeah. two games, it would have been, wow, that's really lucky. Three games, it's like, okay, you're doing something to create your luck. Four games, it's like, yes, you are absolutely having a role in in your fortune here. And that's what has made me more and more confident. I don't think the turnover luck is going to continue the way that it has. Like I'm not- It's probably not at this rate. No, no I'm not stupid enough to think that USC is going to have a plus four turnover margin in every game. Yeah. But I think we have now seen four games of proof that 
this offense is a turnover prone, sorry, this defense is a turnover prone defense and this offense is not a turnover prone offense. So when they come, maybe the, maybe it'll come in bunches. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. But like you look at the great USC defenses of the past, like in the Pete Carroll era, that's one of the things they did very well is turnover margin and tackles for loss. Those are the big two two stats. And that wasn't, that wasn't Pete Carroll being lucky. Like that was Pete Carroll knowing what the heck he's about as a defensive coordinator and, and getting his players to to know what he's about and to to execute the game plan. So I think that you can sort of have a balanced view on this is that like, yeah, the you're 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 gonna have some pushback on these numbers statistically, but this is to me, after four games, what this defense is. So I'm ready to uh to to give them that credit and see what they can produce. As the as the season goes on, yeah. Um, I, I I just looked it up. Um, USC as a team led the country in in two thousand four, two thousand two thousand eight was USC's best defense. I think we can agree. Two thousand eight, mm-hmm. uh, the two thousand four team was the one that was loaded with all Americans. They led the country with a plus one point four six per game turnover margin, and, and that's elite. right now they're at over two. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know. No, they're at over three. It's 14 in four games. Over 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 three. Yeah. Yeah. Math. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're, we, we're, we're not mad. We're not, not mad yeah. majors. No. But, um, I mean, it's still it's still a really good example of of why that was Pete Carroll's philosophy. And it's just sort of playing out here that, yeah, that's how you win football games. Win the turnover battle. Yeah, you, you win the win the turnover battle. And now through four games, Lincoln Riley has matched uh the the Lane Kiffin era in terms of how many games SC has gone without committing a turnover. Mm-hmm. Four. Four and four for Lincoln Riley, four and fifty-three uh, sorry, forty-three uh for, for Lane Kiffin. Um let, let's talk about the offense a little bit here. Um Travis Dye, pretty much the star on offense for the Trojans. Yeah, it was his third straight hundred-yard game um, for USC. The first one to do that out of, out of the backfield for the Trojans since Ronald Jones. It's crazy that he has been someone who has been so productive. Uh, he was so productive at Oregon, and yet he has not had three straight hundred-yard games. And these last three weeks, he has done that, mind you, while sh- splitting carries with with Austin Jones. Um, he was definitely the main man. Uh, on Saturday, when he got 19 carries versus Austin Jones, five carries. I thought Austin Jones had a sort of a poor game. I didn't think he was finding the hole nearly as much as no. uh, as Travis Dye was. And kudos to to Lincoln Riley to continue to feed Dye. Um, but he had 19 carries. He probably should have had 29, given the way how things how things went. Um, how big of a game was that for Dye for you? Huge for Dye. It just shows what he's about. I, I think that. Um, we might have already said that he was uh, just a more all-around running back than than Austin Jones at this point, and I think he proved it here. I think his vision in this game was really what set him apart. He took every yard that was available on the field for him, and uh, yeah, just the way he hit the hole set him apart. Um, the way he was able to turn on the Jets set him apart. Um, he's really a, an, an outstanding running back, and and it's really fortunate that USC was able to bring him in and add him to this, to this group. I will continue to go back to if USC had just said, screw it, Caleb's not on his day. Let's ride Travis die in the first half. 
they would have scored a couple more touchdowns, but they didn't. And that's part of the reason why this offense struggled so much is because there wasn't a willingness to just say, you know what, the best player on the field on offense right now is Travis Dye. Let's just let him roll. And I think it would have helped the offensive line a lot too because they were struggling in pass pro. Mm -hmm. And you hear from offensive linemen all the time, pros, college, everywhere, that like if your offensive line is struggling, like give them – it really helps an offensive line to be able to say, just, just push forward, just, just bully guys forward. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that would have just mentally helped as well. So hopefully this is, uh, this is another situation where when they look back at the tape, when they look back at, at what went wrong in this game, maybe, maybe in the in future, they'll be more willing to say, you know what? It's a, it's a die game. Just go for it. And let's see what happens. Well, especially when Oregon state was allowing those, those plays to stand. I think that, they were trying to take away the deep ball, try to to prepare themselves for all of USC's receivers and sort of giving SC the run. Yeah. Well then take the run. Take the yeah. take like and don't Dye be was, afraid to take what the defense is giving you and then force the defense to change out of what they're giving you. Yeah. And Dai was threatening to break one long. Like he was I mean, he, he was, did. He had that thirty six yard run on the first like, drive. Like break yeah. one to the end zone. Like he was threatening all yeah. night pretty much. So you just keep feeding the ball early like he could just pop one and then you, you're on the board and then you don't have to worry so much about what's going on with your offense and and the defense has to worry more about well Travis Dye needs to be the guy that we focus on stopping and then you move yeah. towards okay we're gonna get Caleb back in here he doesn't have to worry so much about everything else so yeah yeah and in talking about Travis Dye I wanted to bring up what what our friends over at uscfootball.com and the Parasail podcast have been talking about of the idea of how USC doesn't have mercenaries. Die is the, per- the I, perfect example. I thought it was very fascinating that you can absolutely look at this and say, yes, this is a, this is a USC team full of mercenaries because every t- like I, the way I look at it is the play, the players who are stepping up big are the ones that are going to be sitting in the press conference and continuously the players sitting up there in the press conferences after games are, this game is Eric Gentry and and uh, Travis Dye, two transfers. Uh, before, like at media day, it was Caleb Williams um, and uh, um, Lee, Shane Lee, right? Like two transfers. And there's transfers all up and down this team, Jordan Addison, Mario Williams, like Solomon Bird, like the list goes on well, and on, be- on. Who are the two best players on offense or three best players on offense? It's Caleb Williams, Williams Travis Dye, and, and Jordan Addison. And Addison yeah. Who are the three best players on defense? It's Tuli Tupelotu, Eric Gentry so far. And then and, probably Kalen Bullock. And Kalen Bullock or Shane yeah. Lee, depending on, on what game you're looking sure. at. So, you know, the, the, the transfers are certainly – and Makai Blackman has been Makai huge. Blackman, yes. Makai Blackman has been absolutely huge. He was huge, huge, uh, on, huge on, on Saturday, uh, right? for, yeah. uh, against Oregon State. So the the not only is the depth chart littered with transfers, but like the impact guys are definitely the transfers. Yes. Well, uh, yes. But they're so easy to root for. And that's what I think what I think that was the point that the Parasol podcast was sort of making is that like Travis Dye is fit in perfectly. Like it it took him two seconds to feel like a Trojan. Like all of these guys, it's four games in and I am just in love with all of them. Like. They, uh, I, I want to see them continue to do incredible things. And I don't even think of Travis Dye as a duck anymore. I don't even think of Caleb Williams as a sooner. I don't even think of Gentry as a sun devil. Like they're Trojans full, you know, through and through. Like it just, it, it, 
maybe maybe we're just caught up in the O's oh, 4-0 and, oh, and blah, blah, blah. But like the way this team has come together has really shocked me. I was preaching all offseason. We've never seen something like this in college football. We don't know how a team that's cobbled together through the transfer portal this way will react. And they have answered every question that I had on the chemistry front. So yeah, and I was so skeptical of that. Like I, I thought that a lot of the talk that you know we had seen from Twitter, a lot of the pushback that I had gotten from my nine and three prediction was, yeah, or, or me mentioning that you know even great coaches, the co- the last five coaches that have won a national championship have all year lost one. year one games that you wouldn't have thought, right? Like. It, it it takes a while to to for everything to gel and don't expect the world in year one. And I got so many tweets about, yeah, but they didn't have the transfer portal. So that's all irrelevant. And to me, that was problematic because like, okay, so yes, as this is the first major blue blood that is going at it with a transfer model rebuild. So then we can't assume anything then mm-hmm. by that logic because we don't know if it'll go positively or negatively. Why are we just by default assuming the positive, right? Yeah. Well, I think so far we can absolutely see that the that it has gone great. And I don't necessarily think that this is going to be the standard, but I think that this is because could Nebraska it, it, do this? I don't know that Nebraska could I, do it. I, I, I don't think that it has anything to do with the Yes, the ability to to bring in all these players helps, but I think the key is to find is to be able to find a common goal, find a um to be able to motivate them, be able to find players who are fits, all those different things. And that's which, what they talk about, which comes back to coaching. And my biggest comparison for all of this is because, yeah, in a real sense, th- they should feel like a bunch of mercenaries, but they don't. And I keep the only comparison that I have to this team is the 2017 18 Vegas Golden Knights. They were the expansion team in the NHL. Um, mind you, I, I don't, SC had a lot more expectations than an expansion team in the NHL, but yeah. After, after but it was a roster night, cobbled together. It, like it the was exp- a roster cobbled together. The expansion draft, for those who don't know, works like this. You have the expansion team, and then they draft a player. Or how many players? Like one player, one player, from, player every from every team in the yeah. league, and they only get to draft the players that 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 every team can like protect certain players to have them not be able to be drafted. But you yeah. basically like you pull the leftovers together from yeah, and to make a big brother reference. make a big yeah. brother reference. Yeah, yes. but but the thing is that the. That year, um, the Vegas Golden Knights went from an expansion team. Historically, expansion teams are like historically terrible, right? Yeah. They ended up going to the Stanley Cup final and losing to, to the Caps, uh, nearly won the whole thing. And the bond between all the players and what they kept talking about all year long was that they gelled together, calling themselves a bunch of misfits because, well, my team didn't want me. Because each one like, of them knew that their team didn't protect them from getting picked yes. in that draft. And like, so they had this chip on their shoulder. Now, I don't think that SC is is finding players who have a chip on the shoulder. Like, I don't think Travis Dye is coming to SC because, oh, Oregon didn't want me anymore. Yeah. No, I think SC has is, is found guys who have the common goal of some of these guys needed fresh starts like Shane Lee. Some of them needed to avoid a toxic situation like Eric Gentry. 
And uh, boy, was he right to get Yes, a thousand percent. Yeah. <laughs> Some of these guys wanted to follow their coach, like, like Caleb Williams and, and Mario Williams. Some of these guys wanted to maximize their value, like, like Jordan Addison. So all of them had different individual missions like that, but the commonality was that SC was the place because they wanted to do it with Lincoln Riley because they believed in what he could do. And I think that you put that all together and you have to put this on the coaching staff for being able to create chemistry out of nothing because it very easily could have become just a bunch of names. How many times have the Lakers tried to do this Every and time. like embarrass themselves because they got a bunch of names Oh, they got uh, Steve Nash and they got um, yeah. uh, Dwight Howard and all these guys, Benny. Russell Will, R- R- Russell West- Westbrook, that like all these names and they never gelled together just because they're names, right? It takes more than just the names, more than just the talent. And that's one of the things that this coaching staff talked about in the offseason was that they were selective with their with their transfers. They did sort of scout out the chemistry side of it. They talked to to coaches and people around the players about like, what kind of teammate is he like? Like that yeah. kind of stuff. And I think that that, that goes to, um, yeah. Uh, Randy's Sandlin in the chat has said, Riley said when picking players out of the portal, that besides their football abilities, they were looking at mental and character fit. And I think you mm-hmm. were seeing that. Absolutely. Um, yeah. you know, you, you could imagine coaching staffs around the country saying that all the time, but like, I think what we're seeing that in practice is that, they really found guys who were ready to buy in completely. And it's it's an interesting coaching job too because there were two sets of there was two phases of buy-in that they needed. Number one, they needed to get the guys that transferred in to buy into the program and buy into the rebuild and buy into Lincoln Riley and, and everything like that. And then they needed the guys who remained to buy into something new and maybe something more difficult because it was going to be a change of the way that they'd always done and taking them out of their comfort zones and all that kind of stuff. And to me, the guys who have stuck around have all seemed to have bought in as well. Like you're seeing the off the way the offensive line has played given, you know, last this past weekend, they struggle a lot, but those guys definitely bought into the, to Henson and the, and the new coaching on the offensive line. Um, The guys on defense, we're seeing that, that that everyone is, is bought in there as well. So I, I I just think that you, you have to compliment the coaching staff, you have to compliment the players for being coachable and being willing to be good teammates and, and very much to put the team um, on their shoulders the way that they, that, that they have. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, and at the end of the season, I think it'll be really interesting to look back and sort of have this conversation again and see like, how did the transfer rebuild really work in, in the grand scheme? But like four games in, you have to say this was a, a huge success and, um, a success that that really speaks to the quality of USC's coaches and their ability to sort of to observe and sort of evaluate how someone's going to fit in the room. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's you just want to keep moving on that going forward and and get the most out of everybody and most out of the team and um Trojans so far are doing that. Um, easily could be three and one, but here they are four and zero because they were able to. And there would be no shame in being three and one. Like, no. I, I, well, I, I think it depends. If if we, we go three and one, I think I think we're we're spending a lot more time talking about how Caleb Williams had a 
horrific oh, game. Yes, outside. absolutely. But you and I both predicted three and one. We that that USC. Well, I well, think I you had two USC two. at two and yeah. two at the, after four weeks. So like again, it's it's uh, USC is getting wins in in a game that they easily could have lost, and so you take that win absolutely. But you also we we what have we talked about? We talked about eye test. And yeah, the offense failed the eye test this past week, but the defense mm-hmm. made up for it by passing the eye test right. um, in a way that they hadn't before. So to me, four weeks in, regardless of record, which I'm very, very happy to see USC with 4-0, and but it's eye test. Yeah. And the uh, eye test is passing across the board to me. Yeah. Maybe not um, on special teams. So we got a, we got a message from uh, Sinke Malcolm in the, in the chat that says, no one wants to talk about Caleb Williams and his three worst games. So we'll talk about it right here. I mean, I mentioned it literally yesterday on Twitter that Caleb Williams 44.4 completion percentage at Oregon state was the lowest by a starting quarterback at USC in a win since Matt Barkley was seven of 22 for 31.8% while beating ASU in 2009. I, I, I wish I remembered a single thing about that ASU game. Cause there would have had I, to it have was been conversations. Of, there, there's like three games over the last 30 years that I have not watched. That's one of them. Yeah. I know I watched it. I just I listened I, on the radio to like little parts. I must have like purged things. it from my brain. The uh, the worst um, we looked. So we looked this up. The worst completion percentage by a collective USC quarterback uh, room in a game before this. I mean, uh, the only one worse than this. It was in any game, win or lose, was uh, the Sun Bowl. So yeah. that tells you a lot about the Sun Bowl with the win. Okay. The the, the whole it tells thing. you a lot about how bad Caleb was in terms of accuracy in this game. I also just want to reiterate USC won despite the quarterback <laughs> completing 44% yes. of his passes. Like, yes. wow. Yeah. Well, so to, to go off of, uh, of the, the, the comment about uh, Caleb Williams and his struggle last year against like Baylor and, and, and Iowa state, which, his numbers in those two games are, yeah, they're eerily similar, like like Sinkin Malcolm says. Um, very similar, um, almost to, to a T. The difference was in this game, which I think is sort of questionable from the Lincoln Riley perspective, of I, I, I think it was the um I think it was the the Baylor game. He he completed like something of like eight of eighteen or something like that. In this game, he was six uh, I mean sixteen of thirty-six. Like if he's going to have an off night, then don't keep going to him. Um, allow other players to step up. And so the concern and, and like is being pointed out in the, in the chat right now, is like, these are, could the, you can make the argument that Lincoln Riley's offense um, is seeing the same things that they struggled against, like Dave Aranda at Baylor um, and so on. And Will they face this going forward? We talked about with Graham Harrell after the BYU game when BYU dropped eight and were able to get the pass rush off those three guys. Uh, was Kyrus Tonga was able to just wreak havoc in at the uh, the Ooh. nose tackle position, right? We're um, going to have to devote a whole segment to the Nilan nudge so that we uh, we take to, the, to the stink off of mentioning that, that performance. Yes, but the the point was we saw that and we would think, well, then is every team going to drop eight because? That is also how Washington was able to beat uh, Washington State every single year under Mike Leach was to drop eight. Well, are they going to do th- BYU did it against Graham Harrell or and and shut SC down? Um, is is the book out? And that's how they're going to do it. Um, the book might be out, and 
that surely could be a thing. And it's surely going to be a concern if other teams want to mimic what Oregon state did, want to mimic what Fresno state did to take away the run, take away the deep pass. But I think in that game, you saw SC against Fresno state still fight through it and still can finish off their drives despite not being explosive. Um, and part of that was it's their commitment to the run in part because you had the injury issues with Bobby Haskins at left tackle who went out for the game and then came back in against Fresno State. That forced SC to go to the run. So I think that this will, going forward, be a, a thing where you have to you have to look at it and say, well, is SC going to be willing? Is Lincoln Rally going to be willing to continue to go to the run when things are not going in the passing game because these teams are providing these coverages that we've seen before and the blueprint is sort of out on USC uh, or out on Lincoln Riley's offense, can they adapt? Can they do th- things going forward? Because if it happened last year at Oklahoma, and now it's going to have, it's already happened again in game four. It's going to happen again. How are you, how are you going to react? Cause you can't have another game in which you have to pull it out and you needed your center to push your quarterback forward to commit a, uh, to, to convert a fourth down. Right. Yeah. But that's on, it's on Caleb to react. Um, and it's on Lincoln Riley to react and to yeah. to do a better job of maybe protecting and to his put your players in the best situation they can they yeah. can be in. Yeah, but I mean, at the same time, Lincoln Riley has produced a lot of really good quarterbacks, and mm-hmm. I think that if he wants to trust his quarterback, then he is in a position to do that. What I need to see from Caleb is that he learns from this from this, and and again, you know, I don't think it's a surprise that a that a you know tr- that a freshman in those roles playing against those top ten, top twenty type defenses struggles a bit more. And this this was a game where I think we saw that sort of youthful um, youthful Caleb. And I, and I don't want to like let him off the hook every week just by saying he's still a young quarterback, but he is still a young quarterback. These are the kinds of performances that you want to see somebody continue to learn and grow from. And, you know, if, if he was a, a junior or a senior, then you could say this is just who he is. And that might be the case. That might be the case. But we also know that Caleb Williams has aspirations to be an NFL quarterback. He takes that that very, very seriously. And I think that um, that it's a situation where I trust Caleb Williams to get his stuff right because he is so he approaches his game like a pro. So I expect him to respond like a pro. And and we'll see. I could be wrong on that, but that's sort of the way I'm approaching it. I'm not hitting panic buttons or or anything like that, just because we we get to watch it play out. We get to see how this all responds. And uh, and if it turns out poorly, then that's something that we'll have to talk about on a future podcast. Yeah. I, I agree. I, I just I just wanna see I wanna see growth from there. Yeah. Because he had those games uh last year, they're back to back games, Baylor and Iowa State. Um, well, now he's put in a performance that e- basically equal to those two. Yeah. If he would have had a, a two two thirds of a game that was like that, and then he made an adjustment and grew out of this one, and in the fourth quarter, SC scores four touchdowns, and the, the passing game comes alive, and all those things, I think we would feel a lot better about it because then it's showing growth in progress, and we would have literally seen that in the middle of a game. I don't know that Caleb Williams got better as the game went on in this game. Um, so well, he made the throw when he had to make it. Like that's what, what I'll say for, sure. for him is that that final drive, it was a must do drive, and he and he got the job done. So and he was able to, even though he wasn't able to do it through the air uh, for the most part in, the, in that night, he was 
constantly doing it on his feet. Like yeah. I, I like I said, like I think and Trent in, in the Slack was was really harping on this one and I agreed with him that that pass he tried to fit into Mario Williams in the end zone instead of just taking off and running and getting the first down. Like that was a huge mistake. Like yeah. that was the kind of play where he had been doing damage with his legs all day. He really should have just at certain points just picked his battles a little bit better. So you're going over. I'm feeling bold. Give me that over. I'll go under. I got to take an under here. I got three unders to take. I'm going to do an under here. Over under last week. Going into the game, you had a 15 and 10 lead. I was 11 and 14. I needed a big week in Corvallis. I needed a big one. Your first over under was five and a half. He said five and a half. Oregon State rushes of 10 plus yards. Uh, because SC had ranked 97th in allowing long rushing plays. Uh, I ended up taking the over on that. I didn't feel good about it. I took the over. You locked, got locked into the under. At least it was eight. SC allowed eight rushes of 10 plus yards. Yeah, and a lot of those came late too. That's annoying. <laughs> yeah, the, the interesting thing is, is you look at the numbers and SC gave up eight, eight, eight of those 10 the, those 10 rushes or those 10 yard rushes beyond that, they didn't really give up much. Um, and it goes into like, when you look at things like opportunity rate, um, let me see if it's got the it, it's opportunity rate in stat broadcast. No, it's I don't not. think so. No. Um, rushing success rate was 39% for Oregon state. Uh, oh, he says 26 for SC that, what? Austin Jones was getting stuffed every time he carried the ball. No, that, that's, Relique Brown that's had a fair, couple that he got stuffed as well. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I thought Oregon State's um, rushing game could have been better than it was. They had the big gainers. USC had but some SC was really able good to, stops. To, the, to hold them to a lot of ones and twos. That's the difference. The difference between this game and, and the first three games in terms of the rushing performance of the other team is, yeah, they broke off a few 10-plus runs. But there were way more ones and twos than fives and sixes, which is what we were seeing in the first three games. There's a lot of fives and sixes. Yeah, Fenwick uh, averaged two point six yards per carry. So uh, when you when you hold someone to that, that's what you want to do. Uh, next one, you said or I said over under one hundred and seventy seven rushing yards, one hundred and seventy seven and a half rushing yards for Oregon State. Uh, the Beavers had had exactly one hundred and seventy eight against both of their first two opponents. FBS opponents, Boise State and Fresno State, and SC was averaging 177 allowed. So that was the perfect line. You said over, locks me into the under. It was under 153. In case people are starting to see a trend, I went all in on this being more of a shootout type game, and it was the opposite of that. And my score reflects that. I, I, I'm... I don't not like this. Don't yeah. not, I'm going to say, yeah. going to say, I think this is progressing well so far. Yeah. Uh, next one, you said over under 0.5 USC turnovers, AKA will USC finally commit a turnover in this game? I said, yes. I thought, I thought that uh, at some point they would have to uh, law of averages, etc. I said over, you got locked in the under. Of course it was the under it was zero. SC has gone four straight games without committing a turnover. I'll take it. There you go. I baited you into that one too. I'm feeling good about it. <laughs> I had illusions of grandeur about this game offensively for both teams. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was setting the line at over under 49 and a half percent. 
field position rate for USC, the, the percentage of plays that USC would run on the Oregon State side of the 50-yard line. 49.5 was the line. You took the over, which I'm shocked that you were even more confident in that line. No, I was I was expecting more of what we saw against Fresno State in the sense of like USC getting across the 50 quickly and then just having a harder time once they got closer to the to well, the end zone. So it was under. I see only yep. spent 41% of their snaps in Oregon State territory, uh, which is another win for me. Love to see it. Uh, your last over under. Over under 38.5 Oregon State third down percent completion. I mean, third down percent rate, uh, success rate, 38.5. I'm so mad, Michael. <laughs> I'm so mad. I took the under on this. It locks you into the over, folks. Stat broadcast says 38.5. But it's not a push because if you do the math. I'm so mad. Oregon State folks went five for 13. Five divided by 13, according to calculators, 38.46 under. I should get a point just for setting that line. <laughs> just for setting that line perfectly. Like right. It was on pretty the good. Dot. It was pretty solid. I'm just I'm a, You had to break out a calculator to determine I'm who a, won that one. I'm a huge fan of two decimal places. <sighs> huge huge fan. Killing me. Next one, I said 150 and a half combined penalty yardage for both teams. You took the over, locks me into the under. We both thought that this was going to be a penalty fest. Um, Alicia, the refs decided to just not call any penalties on both teams. Both teams got away with a ton of stuff. Uh, SC getting away with PIs and holds. Oregon State getting away with, with, with some PIs and holds as well. Uh, it was way under at 87 combined penalty yardage yeah that's a, just, just a, again just expecting things to play out more big brother references i should expect the unexpected like nothing played out the way it was supposed to in this game yeah except for uh, winning last one alex said 20 points over under 20.7 usc points allowed we both took the over thinking this was going to be an offensive explosion it was way under 14 yeah i see allowed 14 points in this game, which means for the week, you went one and six. <laughs> Yikes. <sighs> Me, just like uh, just like my Jacksonville Jaguars, dominated five and two. Five and two. Five. For the season, we are now deadlocked at 16. See? Uh, 16 wins, 16 losses for each of us. We're 16 and 16. All it takes is one week and uh, resets the board. Yes, it does. Uh, big shout out to the weekly winners. Uh, we got four. Only four people went six and one this it's week. A hard, hard week to go. Yes. six and one in. Uh, Jordan from Canada, Ryan Harvey, Tim in LA, and Nate from Azusa. Big shout out to them. But a bunch of people went five and two, just like me. Twenty eight pitch, Jess three twenty five. Uh, Tofu Garcia, Flan, Tranquillo uh, Hio, uh, Josh from Buckeye Country, that beast out west, D from Hawaii. G Pat, Callie Matt, uh, Piwello, Callie Cat, and Robin OC. Well done on the five and two. Uh, we go to the season leaders, uh, and we have a clear cut one, two, and three, and then four people tied for fourth place. Uh, the four people tied for fourth so far this year with a 20 and 12 record. 
Jordan from Canada, Monterey Michelle, Pyuelo, and Tat Freak. Third place at 21 and 11, LA Fred. Second place at 22 and 10, Jay Vandy. And in first place, 23 and 9, Cali Cat. Cali Cat is on a roll. Killing it. She's dominating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just running away with it a little bit. Um, the game predictions. Vegas had the line at six and a half by the time that we at the time that we made our rundown. Um, you said SC would win 45-35. I said SC would win 38-35. I got the margin of victory right. Three Duh. points for SC. I picked Oregon State yeah. to cover in that pat, sense, but none of us on the back for none that. of us were right at this. No. Uh, it was just 17 to 14. This game could not have played out more differently than I expected. Yeah, it uh, was quite, quite different. Um, all right, Alicia, we got a bunch of questions in the chat. Uh, and we got some emails and YouTube comments I wanted to get to as well. So let's get to the mailbag. You've got mail. Let's start with an email we got from Tony. Michael and Alicia, this is Tony from the Nora PA. Checking you guys out on your car casts. That was a huge win. Defense stepped up big. Fight on. Yeah, Thanks that's a perfect that. summary. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. The defense coming up big for USC in that game. Uh, Cam Lifestyles on YouTube says, speaking of travel, uh, Alicia, what happens when they have to travel across the country? The Horseshoe in Ohio, Happy Valley and State College, or the Big House in Ann Arbor. Then we will see how they handle the adversity of travel and mental preparation. Yeah, that travel is going to be tough. Absolutely. It's the, the toughest trade off that USC has for going to the Big Ten where they're going to get a huge payday, but they're going to pay for it with the travel thing. On the plus side, every in-conference home game is going to be a lot of trans- uh, travel for the road team as well. So maybe it balances out. Yeah. Uh, Warren says, at least it was the crown of the field that was bothering Caleb Williams. That field has an arch in the middle. A few stadiums still have that. See, how, how much of a credit do you give the crown? I still don't think the crown has that much. Like maybe it, it it's a little bit bothersome for a little bit, but I still don't think it has that much. Unless somebody figures out if Baylor's um, field is a crown and then we can sort of relate it to past performances where Caleb Williams does poorly on. I can't imagine it does Baylor as the new stadium. I think that game was on the road. No, I'm just, I, I, I don't, uh, I don't buy it personally. Yeah. I, I think it's easy to point at as it's, as something that's unique. I don't know that it actually plays a role. I mean, chance Nolan threw four interceptions. So I like, maybe you could say that's why he threw the four picks. Like I, but I, I, I don't know. That stuff's difficult. Um, uh, the Deadly Knight commented on our CarCast video saying, in regards to the defense, I give kudos to the coaching staff. They don't have overpowering levels of defensive talent. And you have to be content with giving up 18 points per game with 14 takeaways and no turnovers on offense. More than content. I think you have to be completely thrilled at, uh, at the, the the where USC stands as far as the defense is concerned after four weeks. I, I, I'm not just content. I'm I'm ecstatic, in fact. Yeah. Uh, Bill tweeted you on uh, Sunday and said, how about Monday going down a compilation of how the Trojans did in the NFL this week? Drank and Amon, uh, Amon Ra and Pittman had good games. So uh, here's a quick rundown. Amon Ra St. Brown, six catches, 73 yards, and a loss for the Lions. Pittman, eight catches, 72 yards, and a big win over the Chiefs for the Colts. Drake London, uh, three catches for 54 yards and a touchdown. 
Robert Woods uh, and the Titans beat the Raiders four catches, 85 yards. Nelson Aguilar, three catches, 41 yards, and a huge fumble and a loss to the Ravens. Juju Smith-Schuster in a loss to the Colts, uh, caught five balls for 89 yards, and uh, Rasheem Green had seven total tackles and a half sack in a loss to the Bears. Yeah, USC's wide receiver U. Um, the, the wide receivers that USC has in the NFL are all balling out. Um, of course, Nelson is always the one that's like really productive, except there's always something uh, with him. But um, yeah. yeah, it's it's good to see all those guys succeeding. And Talano Hafango is getting rave reviews with the 49ers. So good to see that from him. And uh, yeah, dudes are, dudes are doing OK. Dudes are doing well. Yeah, we got, we got an email from Tim. I want to get to that at the end because it's a little off topic. So we'll okay. finish off with that one. So um, ton of stuff in YouTube. So let's uh, let's rapid fire these things. Um, Tim says, completely unrelated to anything, anyone else notice Oregon State's band played smooth jazz? That smooth jazz song from Community. Something that I wouldn't have noticed because I'm not a Community guy. I did not notice it. I'm going to have to go back and listen because I that's one of my favorite gags from that show. Like, just I love it. So big ups to Oregon State for playing it. I, I, I trust that you guys, when you say they did, I wish I had heard it. Uh, Cameron from Frisco says uh, Saturday's defensive performance is Alicia Optic. Uh, after Saturday's uh, Saturday's defensive performance is Alicia Optimistic Alicia about the defense for the rest of the season. And if so, how much? I am cautiously optimistic i still am gonna give you guys forewarning there will be a game where this defense gives up 35 or 40 points when it comes i will say i told you so and it won't be like i won't mean it harshly i'm just saying like it's gonna happen and it'll be it'll be okay like it's gonna happen just accept but they're farther along than i expected after the first two weeks of watching them and I am more and more confident that they can hold their own for the majority of the season. So that's a really, really good feeling. Yeah. Marcelo says, are you, you still thinking 10 and two on your prediction? And I, if so, who other than Utah has the, has the best chance to be the second loss? I am still thinking 10 and two. I still think you lose at Rice Eccles just because it's Rice Eccles. Um, the trip to Corvallis went to show that like these like road trips that we're all worried about, they like the, the juju is there. Like it, it's there. So you still lose uh, to Utah. Honestly, I, Washington State could be trouble. I think maybe if you're looking at a defense that uh, a defensive coordinator gets the better of Lincoln Riley on a day, maybe Cal. You cannot write off UCLA or Notre Dame as potential threats. So yeah, I still think ten and two is probably the most likely outcome. If it's if it's not, then uh, then I'll be happy to be wrong. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I think ten and two right now is a safe number. Yeah, it's a safe number. Um, I would say expect ten and two and hope for better. Yeah, and I have a hard time in seeing less at this point. Um, yeah, like, it's, it's, we've transitioned from a point where I would have told you that like nine and three is more likely than ten and two, where now it feels like ten and two is more likely than nine and three. Yes, uh, Michael Johnson says, "Why does no one talk about USC special teams duties?" Are how they're divided among the coaches. I need to know who to drag. I mean, should I blame Bob Connolly for this? You can always blame Bob Connolly for this. Um, I was going to give it a, a, this a serious answer about how like a lot of teams do this, where they don't have a dedicated special teams coach. And when USC did have a special teams coach, it didn't make that much of a difference in terms of special teams. But I agree with Michael Johnson. When th- 
who do I yell at when Brendan Rice been awful. takes the ball to the 15-yard line for the 15th time this season, or Gary Bryan or whoever's getting kickoffs, instead of just fair catching it and taking it to the 20, takes the ball to the 15 every single time. Like, Stop it. Just you can fair catch it wherever you are in the field. Just fair catch it. I, I know it's annoying. It's really annoying when when teams fair catch kickoffs at the three yard line. But do it. But just just do it. Just do it. Just do it. There's a reason that, that teams do it. Yeah, just just do it. Uh, Rambo Murray says Utah, the only real challenge on our schedule. Don't think USC will challenge us. I think as it stands now, absolutely. It's good that SC misses Oregon and Washington. But I think that Washington State's going to be a little bit trickier than we expected. Um, and I, I think Cal has a pulse. Um, Notre Dame in November, who knows, maybe they will have turned a corner from there. And I think UCLA, we just don't know what UCLA is yet. You just, I just don't count out rivalry games. They could be 0-4 right you now. Gotta, you I know what they say? Tell you but the records. Throw them out. Throw them out. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a few questions from Alex. First one, did this game show us the genius – Lincoln Riley, how he manages quarterbacks and the team to victory. I don't know that this was the game that showed genius. I, I think genius would have been putting the ball in Travis Dye's hands. Um, yeah, I, but I, I, I think if if like I mentioned a few minutes ago, if there would have been in-game progression that showed that oh everything's hit the fan in the passing game, but we did this, this, and this, and this is how we fixed it. If like Lincoln Riley came out and did that sort of thing, yeah. I would say yes. I don't think that we saw that. Even that last drive was very difficult. Very difficult for us to move the ball down the field. Alex also says, how do you feel seeing Damani Jackson in the game? I loved it. Honestly, like the more I think about it, the more I felt very comfortable with a true freshman on the field. He didn't look like a true freshman physically. He didn't play like a true freshman mentally. Uh, and one of the things that I really enjoy about Damani Jackson is the same thing I enjoyed about Iman Marshall and, uh, you know, the, the, the defense, the defenders that have stood out to me is Kalen Bullock. This is the same. Can you tackle? Like, do you just have that? Are you a good tackler? Just, just straight up. And to me, early, early signs are Damani Jackson is a good tackler. Yeah. I want good tacklers on the field at all times. Mm-hmm. So yeah, feeling good about his, uh, his debut. And it helps when you're getting good corner play, like yeah. Makai Blackman has been able to put together that On the other makes side, it yeah. easier not to have to go to your five-star freshman corner and, yeah. and, and throw him into the fire. I think that you sort of ex- – that was the case with, like, Jack Jones. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the case with uh, Adoree Jackson. And for one of those guys, it worked. For the other guy, eh, maybe not. Uh, Kenny Martin says, by the time, by the end of this year, could this game look like the 2016 game against Colorado? Not ranked at the time, but at the end of the season, one of the biggest games of the season. I would love that for Oregon State. I think that that's a really good pull from Kenny here. And, uh, I think I would love to bring back this question when we get to the end of the season and sort of see if it did come to pass. Cause I think there's a decent chance. I am not counting Oregon State out of beating Utah. I am not. I think Oregon State's most difficult thing here is that they're in the north. And even though the north, the divisions don't matter, they do for scheduling. Yeah. So they're going to have to play Oregon and Washington and Washington State. And it's a much harder road. Yeah. Oregon State looks like a nine and three team by the eye test to me. Yeah. But Could with, be seven with, and with six. that schedule, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. 
Yeah. Um, but yes, if if everything comes together and they and they get their their wins, they could be a ten win team. I wouldn't be shocked, uh, but things got to go their way for sure. Uh, Randy says, uh, so much of playing football at an elite level is mental. Do you think Caleb Williams can come out of the game a better quarterback, or does this game affect his confidence going forward? Okay, so we talked about last year he had those struggles against Baylor and Iowa State. He bounced back with a big November. And those were back-to-back games yes, against two of the most difficult defenses that he faced all season. One of them, the first one, was on the road. So, you know, we'll see, we'll see how he does. Um, but yeah, this is, this, this is the mark of a, of a good quarterback or an average one is how do you deal with a setback? And this was certainly a setback for him on a personal, uh, personal level. So we'll see. Yeah, I'm looking at it. So he bounced back. Um, well, the next week was the, after Iowa state was the Oklahoma state loss, but in that game, um, he was three touchdowns, no picks. Um, fifty one percent. So, wasn't the the worst, but mm-hmm. yeah. Or Oklahoma State played him better than than That's most defenses. Defense. But then he had the best game of of arguably his career. Um, in the in the album bowl. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. I we'll, we'll see. We'll see how he bounces back. We'll, we'll see. Um, Alex says, "Would a Pete Carroll coach team uh, have won last Saturday's game at Oregon State?" Felicia, there's a key component here. I need the context. What year are we talking? Well, who, yeah. who, 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 who is coaching with Pete Carroll? Yeah. Is this 2009 Pete Carroll when there's been brain drain uh, and there's nobody else on his sideline? Because mm-hmm. uh, the answer is they definitely lose that game. Is this 2004 Pete Carroll where you have a um, sideline full of stud assistants? Because they definitely win that game. I think 2004 Pete Carroll might have a similar first half, and then the second half is one of those classic like second half Pete Carroll blowouts. Yeah. Um, it's not the Pac-12 road opener, so that's one thing. But Oregon State did terrorize Pete Carroll's teams uh, in Corvallis, so hmm? yeah, mm-hmm. it, it was Corvallis, which might change things as well. Uh, Ross says, any comments from Lincoln Riley about the lack of targets for, for Jordan Addison on Saturday? I didn't hear anything about Jordan Addison. Did did you specifically? No, nothing in specific. Um, we listened to his presser. Yeah, I, I, do, but I, it, uh, yeah. I, I don't remember. So we'll, we'll see if anything else comes out this week. Ross also says, given the lack of playing time for Gary Bryant Jr., any talk of him redshirting or leaving, uh, he announced last week he's going to redshirt. So yeah. uh, that means whatever you want it to mean. Uh, yeah. Uh, insert your, your theory there. Transfer portal opens in December, so we won't know one way or another. Yeah. SJ says, do you think UCLA will take a page out of Oregon State's book, uh, Oregon State's playbook, on how to uh, best position its 25,000 fans at the Rose Bowl for maximum impact? Maybe ask your buddy Jake on that. <laughs> We need to. We need to get Jake on the line. Love this question, SJ, but don't say it too loudly because they might listen. Um, Here's the thing about the Rose Bowl. It's not. It is. It fans out. Yeah. And so the sound just escapes. There's no sound at the Rose Bowl. That that stadium was not designed with acoustics in mind. It it was. The Rose Bowl was designed for you to cream your pants and how beautiful it looks. Yeah. It's not designed for you to go there and be intimidated by it being a hostile environment. Yeah. Completely different thing. Uh, Lamont Hart says, 
I thought uh, Saturday's game important, was important for the team as a whole, but I heard and saw a lot of commentators say that they're worried more after the Oregon State game. What says you? I think this matters starting Saturday. How do they respond? Because if if this ends up being a telltale sign of what's to come, where every defense is going to end up doing the same thing that Oregon State did, and we talked about it before, but like sort of what Fresno State did too, then yes, and if SC is not going to be able to find a, a way to break that down, problem. If this is something that they get through and just completely rebound, not a problem. I, I go back to, to 2004. Remember that Cal game? Uh, the first game that game day was at the Coliseum. In a lot of ways, Cal outplayed USC. Aaron Rodgers has the game of his life. Um, completed what his first 23 passes he was incredible who gets a laugh last laugh sc does because they get they get a huge sack um from from right manual right on second down forces a third and fourth and long they get the big stop to close it in the coliseum the loudest you've ever heard the coliseum in your life what they do in the next week they came out against asu a good asu team at the time with andrew walter quarterback murdered them murdered them like just took out all of their frustration from the last week. It's like, you, you know, uh, Clay Alton's big phrase, drive it like you stole it. Yeah. That ASU game was SC driving it like they stole it. Just completely steamrolled them with all the momentum from the Cal game from the week before. Which, by the way, I don't I don't like the drive it like you stole it thing because I feel like if you stole a car, you wouldn't want to call attention to yourself, so you'd like, follow yeah, well, all the traffic laws and be yeah, very also tentative team and, violation i think if i mean if you yeah, steal it yeah. just just say it i my thoughts on this is really simple it comes down to whether or not oregon state laid a blueprint or not and whether or not usc is able to overcome that blueprint right um but to me i think that people who looked at that game and thought this is like the worst case scenario for usc um I think they I think there might have been some illusions that USC's offense would always be completely unstoppable. And I don't think I was ever under that illusion. I expected there to be a dud of a game at some point. So to me, the takeaway still is, oh, USC's defense has a pulse. More than like I to me, until we see more of the season, this feels like a flute game for the offense. It didn't feel like a flute game for the defense. And so that's what I'm taking from it. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see how it comes to be. Uh, Big T37 says, was Riley too hard to give, um, trying too hard to give Williams some better padded numbers? I'm sure he started the run was more effective. I cannot, I, I'm not going to believe that Riley's um, motivation is the numbers nope. on, on, on something like that. Otherwise, you like, you would have seen Riley, uh, like, Caleb Williams in the final drives against Rice, right? Like, yeah, um, yeah. I, I don't think the numbers are, are a thing. I think it's just his confidence in Caleb Williams. And look at how we talked about Caleb Williams for the first three weeks. A lot of confidence in him. So I, I get having confidence in him to get through those things. But at some point, you can kind of mix and match there. Uh, Alex says, any brand new offensive plays USC will unveil unveil each game i don't know we're gonna have to see how that goes i will say i'm kind of tired of the counter tunnel screen 
Yeah, it's, it, it it's getting worked, overused and, and like the was, bubble screen. You, the bubble screen was great when teams don't expect it, but now teams expect it with the with the tunnel screen. So just hold off for a few weeks until teams aren't expecting it again. The counter tunnel screen was like beautiful, beautiful against Stanford. Showed it too many times. And they've run it like three times in every game since. Yeah. And it like has gotten blown up every time. Yeah. Go in that formation, do something totally different. Because the defense knows what they're looking at now. Yes, yeah. um, Randy says, "Is is it true Caleb wouldn't speak with the press after the game?" I I didn't hear that. Did you hear that? No, um, I didn't see any interviews with him after the game, so I don't know that he did speak with the press. Um, but also, I will say, road games are weird in terms of players getting out and to the buses and stuff. And USC has also changed some of their media stuff, so I'm not even sure that the idea is to have access to all the players after the game anyways. Like I think that what they're doing is sort of choosing players to go speak to the media. So um, I think it's very presumptive to say that Caleb refused. I would, if I was USC, I wouldn't have put him in the fire line. If I was USC's SID. Yeah. I would have snuck him out to the, to the van too. Like I wouldn't. um, Yeah. The, um, I don't think that that would, would have been Caleb's choosing a and B. Um, or if it was, then it would maybe have been like something. It still would have been the decision of 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 the, of uh, the SID, of, yeah, of SC's um, staff. Um, the way the system works, at least for home games, it used to work. You would go to the the main conference room, press conference room, and there'd be like the two big players of the game, right? Like the for this game, it was um, Travis Dye and Eric Gentry, right? Um, and then after that, you stand in the tunnel, and as the players leave, you could interview them all as they walk out. That got changed um, before the Rice game, and they said that now all the, the interviews have to be conducted inside the press conference room, so they were going to bring in more players into the press conference room and kind of shuffle them in and out for home games. Road games, I'm not exactly sure how it's working now. So I bet it's the same thing where they have probably just a scrum more, and it's probably very similar. Yeah. 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 Either way, it's less access. So I, I would probably view that more as like an access thing mm-hmm. rather than a, I don't want to talk to the press thing. Yeah. Uh, which I guess you can argue the access thing is that I don't want to talk to the press thing, but I don't think that that's Caleb Williams. Decision. Yeah. Um, Lamont Hart says, uh, um, question Caleb will, um, Caleb was bad. Uh, this is, we all know, but I'm hearing and seeing a lot of people killing him unnecessarily. The kid has only started 11, 12 games. He's young. Uh, he's going to have one of these games. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. That's what, that's where I'm at. I, I don't think this is Caleb Williams. I think this is a, this is a flute game for him. I expect him to bounce back. Uh, like I said earlier, if this continues to happen, then it might just be who he is, but uh, we'll see. Yeah. Um, Ricky D says, have the Oklahoma fans finally left you alone? I have yeah, not had a, quiet. I have not had an Oklahoma fan in my mentions since Saturday. I can tell you that much. Uh, Mateo says of the Beaver cornerbacks that good, or do we foresee similar issues if we stick to the past when this type of defense comes up again? Uh, they have their secondary is okay. Um, I. I struggled, and and I'm not going to have time to rewatch the game, but I struggled to remember, like, to me, it was just the inaccuracy was the problem. Um, The receivers weren't getting open, like, wide open or anything like that, but 
when they were available to me, there were more inaccurate passes than like, oh, the the the, the corners on the guy and not letting him catch the ball. So yeah, well, Fresno State's kind of had the thing where the it was the dropping back in coverage thing, which opened up the running lanes. Um, and I, I think that Oregon State was doing a lot of the similar things, but on top of that, um, it was the inaccuracy that kind of played into it too. So it was kind of both things. Yeah. Um, were really issues there. Um, Glenn says, why is Alicia's camera in 4K and Michael's in standard definition? Okay. So I'm looking, I'm looking at my camera right now. It says HD 1080p uh, on my camera. By the way, I think I bought this, this, this webcam in like 2010. Well, okay. It's still going. No, no. I mean, and that's your answer. This, I bought this webcam like three months ago. And I'm pretty sure it is a 4K webcam, even though I don't know if it's actually 4K, but you know how they <laughs> advertise everything. So Michael is using a decade old webcam and I am using a yeah. 2022 webcam and we probably just need to upgrade him. <laughs> probably. Um, Trek Ranger says, tired of the tunnel screen. If it works or sets up a bigger play deeper in the game, then I'm fine with it. Uh, to say you're tired of it four games in is strange. No, that that's fair. I, I, yeah. Yes. I like you're. You're but not. It's, you're it's not wrong. Not, and I agree. It's not working, and it wasn't setting up other things deeper in the game. So that's why we're tired. Yes, and my and if it needs to fail to set up something, that's fine. But I I want to be able to see that, and I don't know that I'm always going to be able to see that. I'm not the biggest yeah. X's and O's person, especially watching on first watch, etc. But like. The way it's looked the last two games, it just has been overly clunky there. Um, yeah, let's go back to the email we got from Tim and wrap this thing up. Tim says, real G's move in silence like lasagna, according to Lil Wayne. If you two stack two cooked lasagnas on top of each other, does it become one single larger lasagna? Well, I see both of your points, but if I have to pick one side, it's Alicia's. That's because they remain two lasagnas. I think she's correct because a lasagna is a single distinct food item. Yes, it's made up of layers, but there is a difference between the top and the inner layers. Even if they're identical in composition, the top has a sear, which the others don't. To take the pancake analogy, there's no difference between the top and the middle stack of pancakes. So if you're going to stack one on top of the other, it's one larger stack of pancakes. But with lasagna, if you put one on the other, you still still see a distinct separation where one stops and the other one starts. For what it's worth, like I put in the chat last week, my Italian wife sided with Michael. Hope I can make the Fallout live stream tonight and ask an actual relevant question. Keep up the great work. The live interaction with you and the other robots has been a blast. Tim from L.A. Thank you, Tim, for the email. I I think you hit exactly what I was trying to say. To me, when you cook a lasagna, the top of your lasagna is a very distinct texture and composition to the bottom of your lasagna. Um, The cheese at the top of your lasagna gets cooked entirely different. Like The lasagna is its own packaged thing. And when you take that and that and you do this, you just have stacked two separate lasagnas on top of each other within their stacks. Um, I think my pancake analogy does fail correctly, but I will try to sort of counter if you gave me a stack of pancakes and then prepared it on the top with whipped cream and fruit and syrup and whatever else is going on on the top of that pancake and then delivered two of those stacks of pancakes to me. And I took this stack and stuck it on the other stack. Like I'd still be stacking the two pancakes. Like it, 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 it 
they're two different stacks of pancakes prepared as you are intended to eat them. And then you're, you are just making them taller. Can I, let, let, let me say this. What, is there anything definitive? Like, okay. The, yes. There's a sear on the top of the other ones and, and, but that's just because you cook when you cook it, the top one automatically sears. That's my point is that when you and the cook bottom a, one gets a little crusty. Sure. When you cook a piece of lasagna, you are creating a just like if you cooked brownies and you get your edges the and your piece, top. The, the best piece in the middle. We all agree. Yeah. Right? Uh, depending on how I'm feeling. I'm I sometimes I get a little sometimes I like an edge. Um sometimes I get a little edgy. Um <laughs> The uh, but if you took like you have fun with that one, Jake. I I know. (laughs) Um, you cook a brownie though, and then stack the other brownie on top of the other brownie. Like you're creating a different sort of set of circumstances because your brownies are cooked in a certain way that they create textures in where they were cooked in an oven. If okay, the layers of a. Here's the thing about the lasagna. There is not one way to make a lasagna. Like the the no, making the- a lasagna is not the top layer has to have X. The bottom layer has to have Y. The middle wire layer has to have Z. Like, no, no, no. There that's is not how it there works. is one way to make a lasagna. I'm not talking about yes, the, how you that layer is, it. Open the box of Stouffer's and put it in the microwave. Yes. Yes. No, like, I agree with like, that part. Like is our plan tonight. But no, my my point is if you're making a lasagna with a standard like casserole pan, you're going to do it the same idea as if you made a, a lasagna with a deep pan that you're making like so, a tall lasagna. Uh, but to- because the lasagna, the way it's cooking, you are intending to get a nice, crispy, sort of baked, cheesy goodness at the top. But Your that edges are going to get too. It's still that's no, it's the, the, the cheese cooks differently. Cheese is different when it cooks okay, within a thing versus when it's layered. exposed to the exposed to the to the to the broiler kind of kind of element. Can, can, can I just ask you a very simple question? Yes. From a very sim- simplistic view here, is is a lasagna not layers of varied cheese sauce and meat? Yes. And pasta. Right? Cooked in a casserole dish. Oh, but yes, but but those four things, layered cheese, sauce, pasta, and meat, right? Yes. We agree that that's what it, yes. that's what makes a lasagna. A lasagna, but a so lasagna you, so you, is not just cheese. No, no, hold no, on, no, no, hold because, on. No, because no, what no, you're no, describing no. could just as easily be like a, a, um, a, a what's it called? Like a, just a pasta. You could just make a pasta. You could do shells. You could do all those things. Well, yeah. Then, oh, yes. But it's a, it's a, it's a, a, lasagna, sheet, a sheet pasta. Right? A, a yeah. lasagna yeah. is yeah. a no. sheet pasta yes. cooked in a casserole. Yes. But it's layered type. with cheese, sauce, and meat. Yes. Right? Okay. Yes. Now, nowhere in that does it say that only the top layer can be crispy. No, and if, only the middle one can have. If a I if I went to a like, restaurant, if I went to a restaurant and they served me lasagna without the top layer, I would be pissed because that's the best layer. The best layer is that top. But it's cheesy, still lasagna. Crispy. But it's not lasagna if it doesn't have that top 
Like I'm feeling shit. I, I, I like somebody cheated but, me but, out of this. When you stack the two things of, of things, you're getting more of those because now you get one in the middle. No, because now that's you're even putting it, But you're still it's that's fine. You have two slices of lasagna. One still has it. You still either whether you eat them this way or this way or this way, you still have two slices of lasagna in the end. That's what you have. I. <laughs> Last week, we got a comment that said, if you stack two cakes, it's one cake. Yes. Not if you finish it, the cake. If you finish the cake and you stack it, it's two. It's- no, if you, if, you, if you cook two cake pans of cake and then intend to do a layered cake and then frost that cake the way you would an actual cake gets frosted, that is its own cake. As opposed to each cake pan uh, cake. Rama Murdy just said it's time to go. It's it's <laughs> it's it's time to go. Yeah, I do um, have to get back to work. Yeah, and, and <laughs> see Malcolm, they're deep in Maryland. <laughs> and Cameron, yes, we are actually having lasagna tonight. Yeah. Um, and I just go back to Tim. Tim's wife said it was me. So also, Mateo, a bagel is a bagel. It's not a donut. Stop it with this nonsense. I mean, it could be. No, a bagel is a bagel. All right. Uh, if you guys are Just still like here. Just like a hot dog is a hot dog. It is be, not a sandwich. Be sure to subscribe and we'll talk more about uh, these crazy <laughs> things on Wednesday as we talk about yeah. USC and ASU. Uh, <laughs> review that. So we'll be back at 5 o'clock on Wednesday uh, here on YouTube. Uh, if you're listening to an Apple's podcast, be sure to give us a review there as well. Um, we, uh, we couldn't do this without you. Remember, we... Big shout out to uh, to our huge fan base uh, in South Korea. Uh, in, in South Korea. Till then, see ya. See ya. Swimsuit check. Sunscreen check. Phone charger check. Don't forget to pack the five hour energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HE Travel at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One time use only, not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HE Travel to save 20%. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the Fileo fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.